a good evening, I guess it is, actually. As a matter of fact, it's Christmas Eve where I am right now. And I want to wish you all a very Merry Christmas. And I'm so glad those that can join in um, are able to join in with me tonight. I'm not going to keep you long. This will be a very short uh, message. At least my intent is. It's, it's um, a short message, but I wanted to bring this to you. I felt this was on the heart of the Lord. Um, the Lord gave me this earlier, and I was praying about it. I actually had planned to do a different message tonight, and so right now I feel like I need to switch those around. And so, um, Lord willing, that will be tomorrow night's message. But tonight, I want to continue. We've talked about the Countdown to the Manger series, and then we looked at uh, Nothing, Nothing Impossible the other night, and then last night, we talked about infinity in a manger. We talked about how um, this one in the manger was the ruler that was to be the one that was to be ruler in Israel that Micah prophesied about, whose goings forth were from of old, of eternity, even everlasting. Tonight, I want to talk about the fullness of time. And I want us to begin reading as we look at Christmas. It is Christmas eve and you know we're not saying at all that christmas that jesus was born on christmas day as a matter of fact to understand the timing of his birth and uh, biblically why it was a different time than that that's another lesson that maybe i will do perhaps over the weekend or some other time shortly but what I do want to do is look at what the scriptures do tell us about the time when Jesus came and what was so special about that. And to find that, we look at Paul's writing in the book of Galatians. And I want to begin reading in Galatians 3:29. I'm going to turn this light on so that I have a little bit more light for reading. Galatians chapter 3, I want to begin in verse 29, and then we're going to go into chapter 4. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 29, it says this, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he's a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Let me begin with a word of prayer now. Father, I thank you, Lord, for this Christmas Eve, this time when America and even many around the world take time to celebrate 
the birth and the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we just thank you for the gift of your Son. We thank you for coming. And I pray that you will bless this message tonight and that those that hear it, it will be a blessing to them in some special way to add to their Christmas holiday celebration and to draw them to see you in a fresh new light. In Jesus' name, amen. So I want to talk a little bit about this tonight. Like I said, it won't be very long tonight. In Galatians chapter 3, Paul has laid out an argument establishing that those that are of faith are, of the, are sons of Abraham. And as sons of Abraham, they are heirs of the promise. Whether they're true Jewish people or Gentile people, it all is by faith. And so Paul lays that out in the book of Galatians, uh, particularly better than in any other book of his writing. And he especially spells it out in Galatians chapter 3. And so he's saying here, he's talking about the sons of Abraham and being truly Abraham's seed by faith, therefore being heirs to the promise. So he goes on down in chapter 4, and he keeps talking about this being an heir. And he says, you know, if you're an heir, just um, in a legitimate physical sense, the if you're a child, you're no different from a slave or a servant that would be in the house in the sense that you're going to be told what to do and you're going to be held under uh, some degree of, of bondage, so to speak, and guardianship. Even as a child, even though you're an heir of all the things, you're still not matured yet. So, in other words, we can kind of think of it like this. Let's say, you know, it's a, a parent and you have a child. If that child is eight years old, you will not... You better not give that child car keys and, you know, allow the child to get in the car and go driving around or whatever. You don't do that. Um, that child has to grow up. Now, the child will eventually have the ability and the freedom and the liberty to drive and to learn to drive and all of that. But you don't do that until the child has become the right age, until the time appointed by the father, it says here, in terms of the child versus the, the servant. So in a similar sense, he's saying that there was a time when we were all held under bondage, but in the fullness of the time that came appointed by the father, God acted and God did something special for us and we have the reasons for it here. So that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. All right. So what he says is that um, in verse 4 of chapter 4, he says, but when the fullness of the time had come. So let's talk a little bit about that. When the fullness, the fullness is talking about the completion of it or the filling up, the filling up, it's something that would fill it up. So in other words, if I had a cup, if I was holding a cup here and I had a pitcher and I was pouring the pitcher, pouring and pouring and pouring something from inside the pitcher into the glass, the more I pour, the fuller that glass is going to get. And when it reaches the point of being full, that's when you can't pour any more in, and it's time then to drink that, that water or that juice or whatever it is. So it's a similar kind of concept. 
all of the pages of history, all of the years of time that had accumulated up to this point were kind of like pouring the water out of the pitcher into the glass. And so the longer it went, the more that was being filled up until the glass was full and it was the right time then for this event to happen. So this is what's happening. All of those years are accumulating until that perfect timing has come. Now, it's the fullness of the time. It is the definite, in Greek, it is using the definite article, the. So, in other words, it's a specific time. It's not just, you know, time that just popped up. It's not just something random. It was the specific, appointed, designated chronos time that God had sent and God had appointed from from the beginning, from before the foundation of the world began. And so what we see is that this time that God had established as the perfect time for Jesus to come, for him to act and to do these things, he had set this in place and in motion. It's been approximately 4,000 years from the time that the prophetic word was given by the Lord himself in Genesis 3.15. It's approximately 750 years from the time that Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 7.14. And it's approximately 710 or 20 or 30, 40 years from the time that Micah prophesied in Micah 5.2. So all of that time, the glass kept filling up. The glass kept filling up. There was more and more being more and more time that was accumulating to fill up the glass, so to speak. All right, and so this is that particular time. But when the time came, God then acted. It's also a good way to consider it might be if you had something you were baking in the oven and you set a timer for it. You're baking a cake or whatever, and you know it's supposed to be cooking for 30 minutes or 35 minutes or whatever. Um, you set a timer, and the timer keeps going off. You know, it kind of eases along all the way, and then finally when it's the right time, it's going to ding. So in a sense, there was a heavenly timer that dinged, and it was like now the time was had come. The glass was full. It was now time for God to act. And so when the time came, the fullness of the time, he says, then God does something. God acts. It says God has sent forth his very own son. This is the story that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 1 and in Luke chapter 2. In Luke chapter 1. We see Gabriel being sent with the message. First, he was sent to Zacharias and Elizabeth about the messenger, the forerunner that would come prior to Messiah, which was their son, John. We call him John the Baptist. Then Gabriel was sent to Mary, the virgin from Nazareth. And then we find, of course, he visits Joseph also because, you know, Joseph didn't at first believe it. And, you know, we can understand why, of course. 
It was not an easy message to swallow, but it was the truth. And so we see Gabriel coming and delivering that message. And then when Gabriel came to Mary, we see the actual, the Holy Spirit of God overshadowed her and sired the son of the living God inside of her as a baby. The son of the infinite and eternal God. That was the, the lesson we had talked about a little bit last night. The, the infinite God. And yet he is now alive as a human being. Now why? Because he was dispatched on a mission. When it says here that God sent forth his son. That word is talking about dispatching something as if it's on a particular mission. So, you know, if you were to call, if you had an, an occasion to call, let's say, 911 for something, they will dispatch someone to help you, whether it's, you know, in regard to a fire or, you know, you need an ambulance or whatever it is. They send forth a dispatch. They make a call. They put a call out to someone, and they are dispatched on a mission to come to help you. That's the way this is. It's to be understood that he is dispatched on a mission. Jesus was then born of a woman, fulfilling Genesis 3.15, which said there would be the seed of the woman, fulfilling Isaiah 7.14, which said the Messiah would be born of the virgin, which fulfills Isaiah 9, 6 also. The son is now born, the child is now given. And it fulfills Micah 4, 8 and Micah 5, 2 as well, because now the ruler in Israel, whose descent is everlasting and infinite, has now come in his first dominion. Now it tells us here that he is born under the law, we have to understand that. He's born under the law. It's speaking about it. He's born under the influence of, of this law being over him or under its power or its control. In other words, he's subject to the Torah, to the law of God in the Torah. Now, it's interesting because when you go back, and you evaluate all that Jesus said, all that Jesus did, all that his parents did, everything that's recorded in the scriptures, God saw to it that not one tiny little bit in the law was missed. Every single detail demand in the Torah was done and fulfilled through the life and coming of Jesus Christ. He was born subject to the law. He had to meet every demand. Why? Because that was the only way he could be the savior of the world. It was the only way he could be the perfect sacrifice. The one person who was sinless met all the demands of the law and therefore could die a, an atoning, vic vicarious death on behalf of all of us. Hallelujah. This is the infinite God, the sovereign Lord, the creator of all that had all authority. And yet he was dispatched by God on a mission. His mission 
in the, that he was dispatched into in the confines of the body and under the confines of the Old Testament law was in order to or for the purpose and the result of redeeming you and me. Redemption is simply the buying back. He came to buy us back. It's like the kinsman redeemer from Boaz and Ruth in the Old Testament. Beautiful picture of redemption there. The redemption is to ransom us. It Listen to this. It is by payment of a price to recover from the power of another freeing us from the Mosaic law and its demands. Why was that? So that we could receive what was promised us, which is the adoption as sons, placing us as a son or daughter in the family of God, giving us adoption. Now we are considered sons or daughters of the Lord, not slaves. The Spirit of God has now given us the ability to cry, Abba, Father. We now know God not as master to slave, but as daddy to his child. He is our Father, God. Praise be to God. Jesus came born under the law, and he had to be so that he could redeem us out from under its power and dominion over us, its bondage to us. Now, it's not that the law was bad. The law of God is good and it is holy. Paul talks about that in another place and what its purpose was. But it was not sufficient to save us. It had no power to set us free. It held us in bondage because we could never keep it. We could never be good enough to keep all of those laws. And so it was not able to set us free. It was not able to save us. And you can read a lot more about that in the book of Hebrews as well. So it wasn't that it was bad, but we were held in its bondage because we could never keep it. And so Jesus came in the fullness of time to redeem us out from under the law. And not only that, but also to make us family. And so now we are children of God. Thank God that when the fullness of time came, he sent forth his son, the Redeemer, who has not brought us in, who has now brought us into the family as sons and daughters of God and joint heirs with himself. Hebrews 2 that we looked at last night also tells us that even in this in doing all of this he's not ashamed to call us family. He's not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. Wow. What a Savior came to that manger long ago on that holiest of all nights. Praise God. Praise God that he had already ordained it and that the fullness of time came. And then God acted and sent the Son 
of God, his very own son, to redeem and to save us. I pray that this will be a blessing to you as you think about Jesus tonight and tomorrow as you celebrate his first coming as the baby in the manger and all that that meant to us after he grew up, died, and rose again so that we now have eternal life and know him, know God as our Father. Hallelujah. Praise God. I pray this is a blessing to you. And may you have a wonderful, safe, and Merry Christmas. God bless you tonight. In Jesus' name.